Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Trail. In this episode, I'm privileged to welcome David Marmon, the head sports performance coach at the University of Illinois, Chicago. David brings decades of experience in working with collegiate athletes to guide them through improving their performance and wellness. David is a wealth of knowledge, and I'm lucky to have him on the podcast. Also joining us again is Chris Norris, the head men's soccer coach at the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. One of the topics we discuss is how coaches work together to improve athletes' performances. Please remember to share this podcast along with providing any questions and comments you may have through matchplayrecruit.com. It's, it's kind of like Wayne's World. You're not supposed to count the three, two, one, you know, <laughs> in Wayne's World. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, today we have with us, we are privileged to be graced with the presence of one David Marmon who is a uh, not a strength coach, your sports performance coach at a university of Illinois, Chicago. Correct. Um, it, it's, it's gotta be weird for an Alabama guy to be in the Midwest up in Chicago and, you know, it's a little different not, for I mean, sure. How, good, how good's the fried chicken and, and all that there, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, You've got a long career of um, helping people uh, with their fitness and their overall health. And um, you started at Auburn and went to Georgia Southern to get your master's. And right, am I right so far? And so then, far, so um, good. And then, um, so you went to, when did you go to uh, run down the sequence of universities you went to before you started your own thing? Uh, so when I finished uh, Georgia Southern as a grad assistant, went to the College of Women Mary in 03, 04, uh, where I met Coach Norris there uh, and probably yourself at the time. Um, from there, I went to University of yeah. Iowa for a year. Um, and then from Iowa, went to Indiana State University as the head strength conditioning coach there. Um, from there, came back to Williamsburg, where I uh, uh did a, did a little stint in the private sector, working for a couple of private facilities in town before opening up my own facility um, in 2009. Yeah, 2009 is when we opened up Marmon Muscle and then owned my own private facility for almost a decade before selling. And then after that, got into the tactical world where I was at Fort Bragg working with uh, an Air Force Special Operation Command squadron. And then in... Uh, Last year, decided to get back into college athletics and came to UIC. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you bring a vast uh, breadth of uh, experience to this. So, um, so what made you get into that profession? Like, uh, when did you decide, I want to help athletes get better? Yeah. Yeah, so I th- I think growing growing up an overweight kid was probably uh, kind of what uh, did it for me. You know, um, I was a little bit of a mama's boy, wasn't uh, into sports or anything athletic, and my mom kind of threw me into to football and wrestling at a young age, um, and I was I sort of gravitated to the process of of training and being coached and, you know, overcoming challenges and whatnot. And, uh, I was a slightly above average, you know, youth and and high school athlete. Um, so when I got to the collegiate level, uh, and walked on, um, 
I found out what a strength conditioning coach was. I met, met our strength coach uh, day one when I was a walk on at Jacksonville State. Um, and I remember I went to him and asked him if they paid him uh, to do what he did. And he said, yeah. And so uh, at that point, I was like, this is definitely what I want to do. I, I love the idea of kind of being behind the scenes, um, working with athletes and, you know, um, you know, off the field setting um, and preparing them for, you know, the rigors of competition. Um, and so from that day, day forward, I never considered doing anything else. Um, so once my uh, athletic days were over, I just sort of dove um, head first and immersed myself in the world of strength conditioning and sports performance and try to learn as much as I can from as many people as I could. And, uh, and it's kind of taken me where I am now. Cool. Um, and so at the collegiate level, um, what's the role of the, of the um, strength and performance coach um, from your standpoint? And then I'll ask you the same thing, uh, Chris. Yeah, so... I, I didn't introduce... Sorry, David. Uh, I didn't introduce, we have Chris Norris back again. He's the uh, men's soccer coach at the College of William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, sorry, David. Go ahead. It's all right. Um, so in terms of like operational definitions, you know, we keep like going back and forth between strength conditioning and sports performance. And, and I guess technically they're the same thing, but we're starting to see more of uh, a terminology usage of sports performance rather than strength conditioning. I think when I got into the industry, strength conditioning was just about, you know, banging heavy weights and, you know, running kids into the ground. And what we've identified is that Hey, we're capable of doing a whole lot more. So we look more at the holistic approach to um, enhancing performance and, you know, lifting weights and running are just a small part of that. Um, so my role as a sports performance professional in the collegiate setting is I'm a subject matter expert and my job is to advise um, our sport coaches on tactics and um putting together plans to help them optimize their team's performance throughout the year. And also um develop student athletes over the four or five year period. Um, so that's really my role. And, and again, I think if coaches look at it as a subject matter expert and an advisor, so to speak, uh, it, 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 it clearly defines the lines of what your job is. Like Chris's job as the head coach is the one to make the difficult decisions. My job is just to like be in his ear and, and make suggestions and recommendations to him. So that's technically what our role is as a sports performance professional. Gotcha. Uh, Norris, um, like, how do you lean on the staff there at William and Mary to you know, help your athletes and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge because <clears throat> we don't necessarily like our schedule doesn't, our fall schedule where, when we're in season and competing doesn't really lend itself to, um, an easy, way to work in sports performance. Um, we've got to get a little bit creative sometimes with it, but the bottom line is that we rely heavily on our, our sports, sports performance department to help prepare our athletes for competition. And, you know, a large part of that is making sure that they're strong enough, quick enough, uh, injury resistant enough, flexible enough, you know, all these different things that are, really important to them being able to, to perform at their best on the field. Um, there's also an element of, of defending culture. You know, we want to make sure that the things that 
that we're doing in our training sessions, our soccer specific training sessions are mirrored in terms of, you know, intensity or attitude or, or um, the commitment to trying to get better. And so we, you know, make sure that we're having discussions about what we want that to look like. We're, we're also in regular contact about, you know, kids that maybe aren't doing as well, not just doing well in terms of performance, but, you know, maybe they've got stressors outside of their sport and maybe that's what's affecting them. So, you know, trying to kind of be that overarching umbrella that, um, that catches, you know, all things as far as trying to help kids perform at their best. So you, I mean, you guys obviously, you know, as as soccer coaches or managing the team, lean on these performance coaches that are on your staff, you know, to, you know, maybe they're picking up on something that you're not seeing, or you know, uh, so yeah, they're they're kind of an integral part of, um, you know, keeping yeah, the team. Yeah, absolutely. On. Look. And look, it can take on different forms in different universities. Like, um, you know, we, we have a specific coach who works with us and he's, he's great. Um, but our staff is a little bit thin. So it's not like he's traveling with us all the time and, and that kind of thing. So, like I said, for us, we've got to get a little bit creative at times to try to make sure that we're, we're integrating sports performance into what we're doing. Um, you know, in a perfect world, we would have a dedicated coach, or at least for the, for, for the primary season, we would have a dedicated coach that was with us all the time. Unfortunately, you know, resources don't always allow for that. So we've got to get a little bit creative, but um, you know, we see sports performance as a vital part of what we're doing and, and we try to incorporate um, their knowledge and, and their expertise in the best possible way we can within the restrictions that we have. Okay. Um, yeah. So, David, uh, I mean, talk a little bit about you know how a kid in the off season can you know, prepare him or herself for the season, and you know, from a functional standpoint, and a, as well as a an injury prevention standpoint. You know, what's the the overall program uh, look like and um, with the end objective in all of us in, in helping kids who don't necessarily have access to a, a team you know, of strength professional or sports performance professionals to, to help them along the way. Yeah, that's a, that's a big question. Um, and it, it can get pretty lengthy in that explanation, but I'll try to like sum it up into a digestible answer here. But um so, I mean, again, like when the off season gets here, we're basically going to debrief and, and look at what happened the season before. Um, you know, I'm going to take input in from the student athletes about things that they think they need to work on. I'm obviously going to talk to the sport coach and talk about things that they'd like to see happen for those individuals. Um, and then, you know, I sit down and like assess each kid and we sit down and talk about like, what do you want to accomplish during the off season? Um, I'll have a pretty global, um, program for the team, but there will certainly be uh, some individualization from athlete to athlete regarding certain things. I mean, obviously, you know, if a kid's got a, um, you know, a 
medical history of certain issues. And we want to uh, make sure that the program doesn't, um, doesn't do anything to, to create pain or any issues uh, regarding that history. So there'll be some individualization there. Maybe some kids need to put on a little lean mass. Maybe some kids need to lose a little, uh, not, uh, <laughs> fat mass. Um, and then other kids with the conditioning element. I mean, that's something that we kind of work on year round and particularly here at UIC, like we want student athletes that are cardiovascularly fit year round. So that's something that we're, we're constantly addressing. Um, and during the off season, we'll just get creative in ways that we do it. So it's not so, um, arduous and monotonous, um, which sometimes it can be, um, but, um, the, the good thing about the, the off season is that we have more time with them, you know, um, <clears throat> in season, we're certainly changing our approach to training and everything's geared towards prepping, uh, each week for the games that they're going to be playing, but during the off season, you know, training <clears throat> on the field, you know, it's, it's at the same, uh, priority level as what we're doing in here. And, and our coaching staff does a great job of making sure that, um, we communicate daily regarding what it is they're going to be doing. Is it going to be a high intensity day? Is it going to be a low intensity day? And we want to sort of echo that with what we're doing here in the rim. And then with sports medicine as well, like they're a big part of the um, communication loop as well. If we've got athletes that are rehabilitating an injury or kids that are maybe limited, they're not a full go. Um, we'll talk about a, a training plan for them for the day. So we try to avoid situations where we don't have a plan um, for any student athlete. Um, every time they step into the room, we want to make sure that they feel they're a part of the team and also that they're getting the, the training that, that they need. Um, in regards to like specificity of training, um, you know, that's a, <clears throat> that's a buzzword that we hear a lot here. You know, coaches will come in and be like, I noticed it like, the soccer team's workout looks very similar to uh, the baseball team's workout. And so we try to do a good job of educating our coaches about like the, you know, how we, how we want to transfer uh, the transfer process of things we're doing here into uh, to, to the sport itself. And we have a pyramid for that. And the base of the pyramid is a lot of like generalized training. So again, it, yeah, the majority, there's going to be more similarities that we see in the weight room between the sports than differences. But as we get closer to the season, um, you're going to see more of those specialized and specific movements that, <clears throat> that uh, mimic the needs and demands of the sport. Um, um, and that's when those things will show up. But I mean, yeah, we, every student athlete needs to be able to squat, hinge, push, press. So you're going to see a lot of that from sport to sport. Um, Chris, so when you're starting to recruit an athlete, how important is it that you know that they've, you know, paid attention to their fitness and to, you know, spending some time in the weight room trying to develop themselves. Um, I mean, is that something that you get into or, you know, yeah, I mean, how important is that to you? How often? I mean, does yeah, it, look, it's not, um, I think what's more important is having a good sense for where someone is in their physical development. You know, so it's not as important to us that they have done a lot because everyone's situation is a little bit different as far as what's available to them. Um, what's more important is that we have a good sense for one, where are they in their physical development? Are they, are they, you know, pretty, pretty mature at this point in their life or do they have significant room to grow and develop? I mean, you know, a lot of times we like those guys that have some room still um, to grow and develop physically because we, we think we can help them there and that they'll be significantly better 
after a couple of years in our program than they are as a high school senior, for example. Um, we do try to assess how important it is for a guy to get better, you know, how important it is for him in his mind to work hard and try to continue to develop. You know, we don't want guys that are, that are just sort of satisfied with where they are and, or they, they're like, I just don't like the weight room. You know I mean? That's not an acceptable answer or attitude in our program. And so, you know, we want to try to assess um, how willing guys are to work at it and, and how important it is for them to keep getting better. But uh, where they are in their journey as far as sports performance is not really as important to us. Yeah. So, so to build off what Chris said, you know, having come from an environment where I was training high school kids and preparing them for the, the collegiate level, you know, my approach with those kids was always like trying to build a, a robust work capacity because they're about to step into a setting where like the demands are going to be higher. Um, the expectations are going to be higher. So the best thing I can do is give them a good, um, good aerobic base, uh, the ability to do a, a lot of work, um, have good muscular endurance. And then when they get to college, their strength conditioning coach will um, really focus on developing max strength and max power. Um, I remember back being so frustrated when freshmen would come in and like they get injured the first day of practice because, you know, a soft tissue injury, something that they, they just from not preparing, not training, or they attempt the fitness test and they can't make it through the fitness test. So, you know, my approach with training high school kids was always like, we want to make sure that like, we're going to have no problem with the fitness test and that we're going to be able to make it through like a very physical training session, sometimes multiple training sessions. So uh, what would a, an example of a fitness test be for UIC and then William and Mary? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like personally, I, I really don't care. Right. I know that sounds bad, but like, I, I, it's more important to me that we're addressing the needs of fitness than like testing and evaluating it. Because at the end of the day, like what's important is that they're ready to come play soccer. Right. Um, but you know, um, history, um, and, and sort of cultural things like make the fitness test a, a pretty important part of preseason. Um, here we do um, the beep test. Uh, the men and women do a different version, and the coaches sort of come up with uh, uh, you know mandatory minimum. Um, although, like if if they come in and they don't hit the mandatory minimum, in my opinion, like they still have to go play soccer and 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 train. Um, so. Um, rather than have like a pass fail scenario, I think it should be more of a competition where like this is your opportunity to showcase your fitness for your coaches and see how you rack and stack against your teammates. And if the coaches feel that you're somebody that didn't score uh, at the level that you should, then, you know, then extra conditioning, not as punishment, but as out of a necessity should probably be added to to uh, their plate. Um, uh, but again, like there's so many fitness tests um, out right now. And again, like with with our programming for the summer i'm trying to address like multiple different energy systems you know we do like <clears throat> like something like a, a really simple tempo run where like i'll have them like jog for 20 seconds sprint for 20 seconds walk for 20 seconds and we'll do that starting off for 10 minutes and then as the summer we get further and further the summer we'll add two minutes every two weeks so by the end they're doing that consecutively for 20 20 plus minutes so you're getting a little bit of different pace mimicking sort of the demands of the sport um, and then on Wednesdays, we typically do like, uh, like a max aerobic speed test where we'll do like a timed mile or we'll do like 400 meter intervals with, uh, 
sufficient rest in between. And then I'll calculate like their max aerobic speed there. And again, I'll rank them, I'll rack them and stack them. And it gives them something um, to be competitive about. Um, and then on Fridays, we typically run the beep test without any sort of like consequence. What I have them do is th they run the volume that's expected of them, but they are, they're allowed to take breaks. So they're allowed to miss reps and their goal and their goal throughout the summer is to decrease the number of breaks that they have to take and the number of reps that they miss. So it sort of takes away this, like <clears throat> this mystery of like, Oh, what's it going to feel like to get to level nine? Um, you know, when we get there, they've, they've been to level nine several times throughout the summer. Now it's about, you know, fatigue management. How do I manage my fatigue to be able to get to the mark I'm supposed to get without having to miss and without having to take breaks. Um, so how would like a, a high school age kid mimic that in their training? You know, what, what should they focus on, um, as they prepare to become a college athlete? Um, you know, just go out for a five mile run or, you know, how should they break out how they work out through a week? And then how, you know, talk a little bit about periodization too. Um, and you know when you should have heavy loads and when you shouldn't and that sort of thing all right this can get real boring scott <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i mean like look if a kid wants to go out and run five miles like yeah there's value to that right like having a like a strong aerobic base is never gonna hurt you right what could hurt you is just the pounding the pavement you know like that's just extra stress on the joints um and it doesn't necessarily mimic the exact demands of your sport. However, like, again, I think there's, there's something to be said about having that aerobic base. It's going to allow you to develop your anaerobic power and stuff as, as you start incorporating more sports specific stuff. But I think, you know, with anything, you know, the, the program has got to meet you where you're at, right? Like we, we're, we want to make sure that like <clears throat> we're, we're being progressive in what we do and maybe starting off with something that's a little bit easier than what the student athletes capable of doing and then making it more difficult as each week goes by. Um, and again, you want to reverse engineer, like what's going to be asked of them, to, what are they going to be asked to do when they arrive? That's the end goal. And then we sort of work back from there and develop a timeline to help them get there. Um, in, in terms of like max strength, like this is probably again, an unpopular statement or opinion, but like, I don't hold a lot of, uh, value to the metric of maximal strength for a lot of field and court sports. I think, yes, you definitely need to be strong, but the majority of like your transferable strength that you're going to develop is probably somewhere between 65 and 85% of your one rep max. However, during the spring, we will work like a 12 week cycle where we build up to a one rep max on certain lifts. Typically it's like, you know, um, uh, some sort of like lower extremity exercise, whether it's a back squat or a trap bar deadlift, um, a, a bench press or like a dumbbell bench press, depending on the sport and then like a weighted pull up. Um, but again, like I said, the majority of the, transferable strength that they're going to be able, able to use on their, in their sport is somewhere between that 65 and 85. So again, I mean, the, the kids that go out and do like a, a three by 10 program and like really push themselves in terms of loading, that's going to help them in their sport in terms of like developing strength. So again, I feel like in my industry, we're battling this, these years of like overvaluing the one rep max. And again, to me, like, I don't have a problem with the one rep max. I just feel like sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze and you're putting student athletes into situations where like maybe the risk isn't worth the reward. So. Yeah. 
I'm a little confused though. Um, you didn't mention at all doing uh, buys and tries. When, when, what day do I do those on? That's, that's a great, great, great question. So like I do buys and tries with my student athletes because they're 18 to 20 year old boys. Right. And like what kid that age doesn't want to have like, you know, good looking arms, especially when they, they, they walk around with their shirt off. So I know if I don't throw that in my program, they're going to go do it anyway at the rec center. So typically every Friday we'll have like arm farm day where they get a good pump and then we take their picture and we put it on social media and, and they have a blast, you know, just what it does is creates a culture of like fun where they want to come to the weight room because they know everything we do isn't going to be so uh, stuffy and methodical. Every once in a while, we're going to do some things that are just to let them be boys and have a good time, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. Talk about um, <clears throat> some of the things you can do from an injury prevention standpoint to like a, uh, you know, you know, someone who maybe has like an ankle propensity to roll an ankle or, you know, how do I, what can I do to best avoid an ACL injury? You know, those sorts yeah. of things. Well, I think the number one thing you can do is address lifestyle factors, right? Like making sure that you're getting appropriate sleep. Um, you have somewhat of a structured balanced diet. You hydrate properly. Um, you have um, other life stressors in order. So again, we, t we have our student athletes do a daily readiness questionnaire when they come in. And I actually look at the data and share it with the coaches. And if I see any like um, indicators that are concerning, like uh, a low sleep score or like a low stress score, then I'll say, hey, maybe this is something we should follow up with with the student athlete and have like a side conversation. Um, and then again, like I have metrics from like the entire season of like, what the readiness was throughout the, uh, the season. Um, you know, we do what we can here in regards to helping address the nutritional piece. We have pre-fuel and post-fuel that we give the student athletes. So if I have uh, kids coming in from a training session, they're probably a little gassed, blood sugar's probably a little bit low. We can give them some pre-fuel. Um, and then when they leave, we have post-fuel that's going to be like, you know, higher in protein and fat stuff. That's going to be a little bit, uh, heavier on the stomach, which they should take in after training. As far as the training itself goes, I mean, like good training, good sound training is, is injury prevention, right? And again, um, I think it's important to have an outline of what that looks like. I mean, for us, or for me, I should say, I don't want to speak for my whole staff here, but I have an outline that I follow and, and typically it involves like a structured warm-up. Um, in our structured warm-up, we do both a dynamic warm-up and we also do like a movement prep. Movement prep would be sort of like mobility work on the ground and we address like common areas and issues for soccer athletes um, or baseball athletes. So we're microdosing it on a daily basis where these areas that tend to be problem areas, we're hitting them every time we see the kids. Um, and, it, and again, when I say we're hitting it, we're talking about five, six minutes to make sure that it's being addressed and it's not being neglected or forgot about. And then the training itself, and again, this is just an outline, we'll do some sort of linear or lateral movement. Um, you know, today, for example, our kids did like hill sprints and standing broad jumps uh, for their movement training. Um, and then the next day they might do like lateral shuffles and like um, weighted skaters, which are just a plyometric exercise for their movement-based stuff. And I'll typically pair the movement-based stuff with a plyometric. And all this needs to be appropriate depending on what time of the year it is and what other stimulus they have going on with training and practice and games and whatnot. From there, we'll hit some sort of lower extremity movement. Um, 
You know, some days will be a, a bilateral movement where, you know, both feet are in contact with the ground. Sometimes there'll be a unilateral movement where <clears throat> we're doing a single leg exercise. And then we want to make sure we're doing sagittal plane and frontal plane work. So sagittal plane, think like you're in a phone booth and you can only move like forward and backward, right? frontal plane is going to be side to side stuff. So we want to make sure we're addressing both those, particularly like for the groin and hip flexor region, because we tend to see a lot of problems in there. So in addition to like mobilizing the area, we also want to strengthen it as well. Then we have transverse plane, which is going to be some rotation. So we'll throw in some rotational variations of those movements as well. Then we have an upper body press and an upper body pull. And those can be vertical, horizontal, prone, um, unilateral, bilateral, we'll, we'll mix up to make sure that we're checking all those boxes to just have some variance in, in the different planes that we are uh, addressing those pushing and pulling movements. Um, and then typically at the end, we'll look at uh, just doing a little prehab stuff, like some eccentric hamstring work. Um, we have um, slingshot bands. We'll have the kids do band marches and whatnot. And then also, um, We'll do different core variations. We have like a, an advanced core set. We have three different versions of it, dead bug variations that we want to throw in there as well. So typically when they come in, it's a head to toe workout. Although during the off season, sometimes we'll mix it up and we'll have like a lower body and an upper body day. And they'll have um, two versions of that throughout the week, like a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday of the upper lower. But typically when they come in, it's a, it's a full body lift. Um, but again, like, Everything's dependent upon the time of year and what else they have going on. Um, this summer we're doing, because like I said, during the spring, uh, we really addressed like getting stronger. Uh, so our summer training looks much different. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing a full body uh, lift followed by our energy system development, our conditioning at the end. And then Tuesday, Thursdays are our speed and agility days where they'll come in and do some <clears throat> prehab work, good warm up, and then they'll go right into their speed and agility stuff. So I would say like Monday, Wednesday, Friday are our high intensity days. Tuesday, Thursday are our low intensity days. <clears throat> as far as the student athlete's perception goes, obviously we understand that like sprinting and plyos um, are a lot of stress in the body, but they tend to rate those days easier days because obviously there's not conditioning involved. <laughs> right. Um, Norris, what have you seen as the, you know, uh, I'm sure that you see having a performance coach work with your guys as a huge benefit. Um, what are some of the things that you've noticed in their overall performance um, you know, after developing, you know, from a freshman year, maybe to their second year, you know, that sort of thing. How have you seen them get better, you know, solely based on their work with a performance coach? And that's kind of a, a tough question, you know, solely based, but, um, right. you know, <clears throat> You know no, I mean, look, I think I think uh, the better way to to maybe describe it is just that, um, you know, a a good sports performance program um, is critical to the continued development of student athletes, and we see that with our guys. Um, the spring for us, because our season, as I mentioned before, is very intense. There's a lot of matches in the fall. It makes it difficult to try to make any kind of gains, especially for the guy in the fall, especially for guys that are playing, you know, 90 minutes twice a week or something close to that. So, you know, our, our sports performance cycle is, is such that the fall is largely 
you know, maintenance and injury prevention and that kind of thing. Um, the spring is where you see more gains as, uh, I don't know if I'm even using the right terms here anymore, David, but that would be, you know, the way that we've always kind of described it. And when guys, when the program is good and guys embrace it and, um, and work hard at it, we see our guys get significantly better. They're also, you know, they're for the most part, they're 18 to 22 year olds. So they're, they're still growing. They're still maturing a lot of them. And so, you know, that in combination, as long as they're sleeping well, you know, eating reasonably well, that kind of thing, there's a, it's a, it's a good opportunity for them to continue to, to grow and get better. And so we do see that, you know, we, we do some, minimal, I don't want to say minimal, but we do some different types of testing throughout the spring to try to, you know, one, keep it fun and competitive. Um, there's a great phrase that we've always tried to remind ourselves of, you know, people prepare for what you inspect, not what you expect. And I think that's a great way to, to look at it. You know, I don't, I don't live and die by testing and test results as far as sports performance go goes, but, um, you know, the kids like to see that they're making progress. They like to see that they're making improvement. And so having some occasional um, testing, I think, is good. And so, you know, we see guys make progress in, um, you know, vertical leap, standing broad jump, um, Nord board testing, you know, um, obviously any of the running, whether it's agility or sprinting or anything like that, you know, when when guys can see that they're making improvements there, they – they buy in more and they get more excited about training and they also can compete with their guys. I mean, like we have guys that when we're doing, you know, a vertical leap test of some kind, they're definitely looking to see what their buddies are getting, you know, and they're trying to beat them. Um, so look, it's, it's all good. And we, we are much like UIC where David is, we're not power five schools. You know, we don't necessarily have the resources or the people um, or the time necessarily because of the maybe the lack of of staffing to do everything that we would want to do or to be um, to think that we're going to compete maybe with with some some power five schools in those areas and so you know having quality be at a really high level as opposed to relying necessarily on quantity is is critical for us to try to bridge that gap and try to compete with, with maybe some of those other programs. Um, I think Chris hit the nail on the head there. You know, when, when I was hi hired here, I was, I was told that our mission is to operate like a power five with what we got. Right. So um, we're trying to hire high performers and um, high level coaches that like are coming in, bringing these ideas of like, Hey, well, what can we do with what we have? And so, you know, back to what Chris was saying about testing, like, yeah, testing is great because we want to show student athletes and coaches like, Hey, we're moving the needle in the right direction and we're improving. But those are also baseline numbers where if we have a student athlete that's been injured that we can uh, use for return to play. Right. So if I know that, you know, Johnny typically comes in every morning and jumps a 30 inch on the jump mat cold that like, if he's only jumping 25, like he is not at the level that he was before, um, he, his injury. So like we use some of these metrics that we take even as like, like gross and rudimentary as some of the things that we're able to do here are like, it's still data. Right. And we can use that data um, for a number of reasons and return to play is a big part of it as well. So like sports medicine, we'll share our numbers with them. And, and when it comes time to like green light somebody to get back on the field, like 
they have to get checked off by everybody, not just the athletic trainer, but also us as well. And we have like sort of a mandatory minimum uh, a number of tests that we make each student athlete do um, so that we have the data to be like, all right, well, let's just see where you are with your mandatory minimums. And then um, just kind of gives us more confidence sending them back out on the field before um, they do their sport specific testing for return to play. Um, one of the things I had written down here to ask you about was, uh, you know, functional strength. You, you kind of grazed on it a little bit, but, um, like when you're talking about soccer, what are some of the key movements and ways to develop those movements from your perspective, um, to, you know, improve and, uh, get some gains. That's more so. Yeah. I mean, obviously like for our soccer student athletes, they need to be able to sprint. They need to be able to decelerate. They need to be able to change direction. They need to be able to jump and land safely and effectively. Uh, they need to be able to do it on two legs and one leg. They need to be able to, uh, get off the ground as quick as possible. Um, they need to be able to rotate um, when they're changing the direction. So like back to that transverse plane idea, it's not, everything's not just forward and backward. A lot of it is at funky angles. Um, they need to be uh, able to time and react to things in the air. Um, so, I mean, again, like a lot of these functional things that we're looking at, we're trying to come up with creative ways to develop those things in here. And again, back to what I said earlier about like, pivoting from being a strength conditioning program to be a sports performance program. Like that is the end goal right there. Like, uh, you know, looking back, you know, 20 plus years of doing this, I would go into a sport coach's office and show him all these numbers of guys lifting these heavy weights and really fast 40 yard dash times and whatever. And at the end of the day, like, Hey, that's great. You know, but it, it doesn't necessarily translate to what it is they need to do on the field. So again, really the way we can measure some of these things is by going out and watching training. And, and again, it, it requires you to be more involved. It requires you to go out to practice. It requires you to, you know, watch your student athletes play in games and, and go into coaches offices the next morning and discuss like individual performances from players and, and realize things that kids do well and things they don't do well. Um, and some of it can be improved or enhanced in the, in the weight room. And some of it, it's just something you need to recognize, be like, that's not something that that student athlete does well. We need to find someone else that can do it better. Right. Um, so, uh, to answer your question, obviously like, yeah, like function over form here. Um, we want athletes that, you know, can play the style of play that we play here. And again, like we don't, we don't have, um, amazing soccer athletes here. We have like very technical soccer athletes here. So like my job is even more important because I have to like, develop to the best of my ability, the athleticism that I can out of student athletes. The work ethic is there. These kids work their tails off and they love the sport of soccer. So like, um, you know, what we do in here is, is pretty important to try to helping them compete against some of the more athletic, uh, opposition within our conference and obviously in the power five schools we play against. Yeah. So I imagine, I mean, the athletes are pretty demanding of you as well. I mean, they, they probably expect it, a lot out of you. In a perfect world, yeah. I, I mean, I, that's what I want. I want athletes that are like beating down my door and, um, you know, text texting me at all hours of the night, asking me like, "What can I do for this and what can I do for that?" But uh, yeah, I mean, we've got. I think 
it's tough to do our job when we're in settings where you don't have that, where you don't have kids that want to work hard and don't have high demands and high expectations. So fortunately here, what I just try to do is remind kids about what they said, you know, in October and November of last year, right. You know, like when our numbers are low and I don't see kids for a couple of days, you know, I just send a message and be like, I, I remember sitting in a locker room in November with a lot of guys with, um, tears in their eyes talking about this, you know, wouldn't happen again next year. And this is what we're going to do differently this year. So um, sometimes kids just need to be reminded about the commitments that they make. And, and again, like obviously soccer is the, the, the primary thing that they need to be working on, but this is part of the part of it as well. And so um, I think when they get away for the summer, they tend to gravitate to the things they enjoy doing, which quite often is playing soccer. Um, and so I have to, constantly be a reminder that this is part of the process as well. Like if you, if you're going to bank on being as good and as athletic as you were in the spring, this upcoming fall, that's not good enough, right? Like it, it wasn't good enough in the spring. And if you're not, you know, moving the needle and try to get better in the fall, if you're trying to come back the same player you were in the spring, then, then that's not going to be good enough. Um, and as, as sports performance coaches, like we are the only coaches that are allowed to work with the student athletes during the summer. Um, it has to be on a voluntary basis, but, we can't actually coach and instruct them. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll send out text messages quite often, just checking in on guys to make sure that they're, they're doing okay. And then that conversation will quite often lead into why haven't I seen you? <laughs> right. Mm. So take, um, take a high school kid, <clears throat> he, he or she trying to get better. Um, they live in a place where their economic situation isn't such that they can, you know, hire someone to guide them through the process. And so an obvious place to turn is the internet. Um, and specifically like there's all kinds of Instagram influencers that I know Norris follows. Um, and how do you figure out, who's someone that you can, you know, trust and is giving out good information, you know, what's, do you like totally blow that off or, and, and can you offer maybe some good resources uh, for kids who need to rely on the internet to, to get better? Yeah. So to start off what you, what you said about a high school kid that doesn't have resources to a lot, like I would keep it as simple as possible. Right. And by simple as possible, I mean <laughs> sprinting, jumping, doing body weight calisthenics. Um, e even like you said earlier, going out for a, a run, you know, um, those are really simple, basic things that are going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. Um, the stuff you see on Instagram, I mean, you're not going to get clicks and likes if you're posting videos of you doing air squats, right? Like the, the, the intention of that is to, to put something nuanced and different. Depends on who it is, but yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, like I don't, I don't see a whole lot of like people doing like the basics really, really well. I see a lot of people like trying to reinvent the wheel on, on social media. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously like I would like take that with a grain of salt. I think there's always things that I take away from those people that I want to sprinkle into my programming just to, to see like how the student athletes react to it, what sort of benefit we get from it. But again, it doesn't replace like the meat and potatoes, so to speak, right? Those are just like things that you experiment with. And if you get a good you know, return on investment, maybe that becomes a, a staple of your program. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, like you can't, you can't go wrong with like sprinting and jumping. If that's what your strength conditioning program looks like as a high school kid, then you're probably going to do okay. Like moving up to the next level when you actually have someone to instruct you and teach you, um, or refine what it, what skills you have. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like central nervous system benefits and athletic benefits from sprinting and jumping and changing direction. Yeah. Um, it seems like, uh, you talked a little bit about your warmups and, um, like a dynamic warmup and that sort of thing. Um, I've seen, I've seen a lot of kids nowadays, um, with the foam rollers and the, and the percussion massagers and that sort of thing. Um, Morris, I know you get, you have guys in your team that lug those things all over the place. Um, you utilize those things. What's the current thinking on that and, um, useful, not useful, beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I think they're useful and beneficial for like a multitude of reasons. Right. I mean, it, like a good structured warm up in some instances can be a great workout, right? You know, I mean, you're, you're getting extra work capacity in and you're addressing like musculoskeletal issues, right? Um, you're also priming the nervous system for whatever, whatever it is they're about to do. Um, I think the challenges of warmups and, and, and mobility work and foam rolling, all that is it's not fun. And like kids don't particularly enjoy doing it. Um, so I try to have like three or four different go-to warmups that I, I utilize and I try to rotate them a little bit. And, you know, some students like student athletes, like some versus others, but at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I've got something, um, that they can effectively get their chili hot, so to speak, and get them ready for whatever it is they're about to do. Um, the thing that I can't stand is when, um, <laughs> when student athletes like bastardize a warm up, right. Where they're not putting the intent into it that, that needs to be done. Um, and they're not getting the benefits that are intended behind the time. Cause if we're allocating time towards this, then it needs to be done with intent. So, I mean, again, that, that all boils down to like how you introduce it, how you instruct it. I mean, sometimes you have to make warmups more structured, um, just to make sure it's done properly. Um, other times, um, you have student athletes that can get it done, you know, without somebody standing over them. Yeah. Norris, how... How much do you guys stress that sort of thing within your team? Is that something you guys utilize a lot? Or do they kind of just, kids just kind of bring it on their own? Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, we, we have them available. Um, so we have foam rollers, for example. Uh, we have foam rollers available, I should say, uh, that are, you know, specific to our program. So guys will bring them out for training. They'll definitely bring them out for training on recovery days um, and, you know, different guys, it's like David said, you know, different guys will be more tuned into that. will be more willing to do those things. Some guys have, have, you know, lacrosse balls or softballs that they use. Um, a lot of guys have some form of Theragun um, that they use. So, you know, we don't discourage it. Certainly. Um, and we try to make as much of that stuff as we can available to them. But uh, our culture is good right now. Like our, our group of, of older players is good as far as trying to cross T's and dot I's. And so, you know, they prepare pretty well, I think, for training and certainly for matches. And I think that they've 
you know, got gotten some of the younger guys into that frame of mind as well. I, I feel like our group does a pretty good job of that. We we do track that stuff, you know, across seasons. We we track soft tissue injuries. Um, you know, we compare that to training loads and all the all the data that's available to us. Um, we try to you know make sure that we're preparing guys as well as possible and also um, that we're not putting them in, in bad positions where they're more likely to get injuries just because of the decisions that we're making about what we're doing. Um, and at the moment, you know, we seem to be doing pretty well. This past year was pretty good as far as, you know, not having a lot of soft tissue injuries, feeling like guys were recovering pretty well from one session to the next and, and from, you know, one game to the next. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, um, the biggest uh, realization that, that athletes make when they transition from like the collegiate level to like professional level is the importance of like the lifestyle factor stuff, the warm up stuff, the soft tissue stuff, because at that point they know like, Hey, if I'm not available, it's a chance that I'm going to miss out on an opportunity. And so like the sooner kids realize that in, in college, like the better off they're going to be. Yeah. Um, and just for clarity's sake, um, just keeping in mind who our audience is, the, Kind of define what a soft tissue in your mind injury is. Um, you're talking so, yeah, so probably the most common one, one we hear about is like a ham, somebody pulling their hamstring or straining their hamstring. Um, but, you know, that could be a groin. It could be like a, a hip flexor, um, calf. I mean, these are some common soft t- tissue injuries we see in, in the sport of soccer. Um, so, again, what happens like anytime you do work, like, you know, and, and again, like you dehydrate a muscle, like adhesions form in, in that muscle and uh, fascia, which is the layer between the skin and the muscle, like it gets tight, right? So that's the, the value in the warm up is to increase uh, the core body temperature, get the blood moving, getting blood to the fascia and tissue so that it, it starts to resemble um, good quality tissue that you would see like when it's in a primed and ready state. So that's really what the purpose of uh, foam rolling and warming up and all that good stuff is Theraguns is you're just trying to prime the tissue to get it to slide and glide like it's intended to do rather than to, to stick. Cause when, when, when the soft tissue sticks and it doesn't slide and glide like it should, then some other muscles having to compensate. And when it compensates, that's when you kind of tend to see other kind of strains of, of soft tissue. So it's come a long way from uh, doing our 10 toe touches when we were kids. Yeah. I mean, sure. 100%, right? <laughs> but I, even at this age, I don't like to warm up, but I always feel better after I do it. So, yeah, for sure. Um, last thing supplements. Um, let's dip our toe in, into what you think about supplements. I know it might be a nutritionist question, but I'm sure that you get asked about all the time. Um, you know, for a kid who's 16 and hasn't filled out yet and he, and he thinks he needs to take a bunch of weight gainer or creatine or, or that sort of thing. Like what's, what are your thoughts on it? And, um, you know, yeah. what you kids do. So, so the number one supplement uh, available in the market is called sleep, right? If you want to <laughs> in, increase free test, testosterone levels, um, like naturally, um, nothing does it better than sleep does. So that's the number one thing I tell kids is like, really focus on good quality sleep, good sleep hygiene, and your testosterone numbers will increase. And that will put you in a position uh, to, to progress from a, um, 
uh, lean body mass standpoint. Uh, beyond that, like, you know, uh, creatine has uh, certainly passed the test of time. Um, people are microdosing it these days, taking five grams once a day. Um, in addition to um, in- improving your ability to, to increase strength and lean body mass, it also has some, some cognitive brain function as well. Um, which is sort of a nuanced, uh, uh, research discovery. Um, there's a, a lot of other things, but again, like we try to get our kids to get their calories from, from whole foods, but we do provide, uh, protein as, as a way to, uh, make sure they're getting enough of it. Cause most kids, if they're not, if they're getting adequate, uh, caloric intake, they're probably not getting adequate protein intake. So, um, we have shakes and bars available for student athletes that typically are about 25 grams per serving. Um, and again, we want our student athletes to get a gram per pound of body weight. Um, so, and that's, that's tough for these kids to do with what they have available. So, um, you know, we have Gatorade bars and shakes at the student athletes, muscle milk, uh, boost, I believe over there as well, um, for student athletes to use. We also have like some vegan alternative, um, shakes that we provide student athletes, um, that have, um, a a different type of protein, soy protein. Um, but again, I think the, the, the biggest supplement that I could recommend would be beyond sleep would be, uh, creatine. Um, it's just, it's been documented for probably 30, 40 years now. And, uh, it's proven to be safe. I think the biggest thing you need to make sure of is that, um, you're getting it from a reputable company. Um, that doesn't manufacture in, um, in, 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 in a way where you could get something that's contaminated, right? Like, cause you know, we need to make sure that they're NCAA compliant if you're a college athlete and when they do drug tests. So, um, just making sure that like the company that you're using, um, manufactures in a way where it's not getting contaminated with other, other products. Cool. Um, yeah, they're like certifications that, supplements need to have in order for them to meet yeah, this a lot, a lot of time they'll put they'll document on their in the packaging that it's ncaa compliant or wada compliant or something like that um thorn is a very reputable company it's a little it's pretty expensive but like they do a good job of making sure that they um uh, keep things compliant make sure people are safe from from not popping positive gotcha um yeah. What else? Am I missing anything you uh, wanted to touch on? Could be useful. Norris, I miss anything? Probably yeah. lots. I mean, I see a lot of, I, I coach youth sports in addition to William and Mary. I see a lot of kids crushing an energy drink before a game. And uh, I don't know about all that, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, not, not recommended, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's a lot, a lot of caffeine and a bunch of other stuff going into their bodies, artificial sweeteners sometimes, sometimes not artificial sweeteners, just a ton of sugar. Right. Um, but again, I think people are, are looking for that quick fix and whatnot. And, and again, like uh, all we can do is try to educate them the best we can. Um, but yeah, we don't here. We don't allow, I mean, I'm sure kids probably do energy drinks, but they're not allowed to like bring them in the facility or have any sort of like pre-workout stuff in here other than what we give them. So, so what are some of the effects that, are harmful from, you know, down on an energy drink prior to engaging in exercise or your sport? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like the heart rate response, right? It's going to, 
increase your heart rate um, to a level that's higher than what it would normally be. And if you're participating in like high intensity exercise where, you know, you're reaching, you know, approaching max heart rate, that could potentially be like create cardiac issues for student athletes. Um, a lot of them are like vaso have vasodilators in them so that like if you something were to happen, you were to, to start bleeding, it could be difficult for you to, to control that bleeding because of the uh, um, the lack of like coagulant, you know, from the, the vasodilator. Um, I mean, those are the big ones, right? You know, and, and again, like some of this stuff isn't regulated by the FDA. So you don't exactly know what you're getting. Um, and that's always a risk. Anytime you're putting anything in your body where you, you don't know that it's, is what it says it is. Um, all, 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 you know, things that could be potentially be risky. So what, what do you, what do you recommend prior to a match or, you know, an intense workout or an hour and a half training session, that sort of thing? Yeah. So we require, um, or recommend our student athletes consume four of these per day. Um, so I think, you know, consuming one of these, uh, 60 minutes before a match is a good start. It gives them time to go to the bathroom and starts the, uh, the hydration process. But, um, again, like as long it's about having a plan, right? Like there's a bunch of different ways you could do it. We've decided that like giving them a target to consume four of these a day is, is a good way to address the hydration issue. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing. You don't, you don't necessarily need a, a stimulant to, to perform at a high level. And again, like a safe stimulant would be coffee, but, um, I don't see many, uh, eight year olds out there drinking coffee. They should start. That's my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else guys? That was, that was awesome. I think you, I think you had a question on there about like movements you should avoid. Yeah. Didn't you have something about that? Yeah. And, and my only thought regarding that would be like anything that causes pain, right? Like you, you can get as creative as you want with your like exercise selection. But like if a student athlete comes to you and tells you something causes them pain, um, you need to examine that, right? Like it, it could be like a technical issue that you could correct where the pain goes away. But like if it's something that habitually causes them pain, then you need to find an alternative movement. Um, you know, I've worked with plenty of kids that have had like, you know, pre-existing issues to where it doesn't matter what I did, like squatting caused pain for them. And I had to find alternative movements for them. So just listen to, listen to student athletes. And if anything causes pain, then you need to find an acceptable alternative for them. Um, how do you deal with, uh, what's one of the best ways to deal? That's not the right way to ask it. How do you deal with, delayed onset muscle soreness um you know what are some good strategies yeah sim simply put uh, motion is lotion right like get up and start moving whether it's going for a you know 20 minute walk doing a little dynamic warm-up doing uh some low volume body weight exercises like that's going to help um with getting rid of some of that uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. But uh, I mean, that's what we tell our kids all the time. Like when you're sore, don't be afraid to train. Don't be afraid of anything. Like get up and start moving and you'll start to notice some of that soreness will start to dissipate. Cool. All right. I'm going to hit stop. Thank you. You Dan. want a uh, moment story? You, I can't, you always ask if I have a story 
And then the one time I have a story, you don't ask me. Always come prepared. This is and this is this sports performance related. Fits perfectly. Perfect. Perfect. Right. I expect a counter story, David. After right. so, I'll, I'll uh. This is back when when David had probably just left Wayman Mary. I think he was when this happened. I think he was at Iowa, but he might have already gone to Indiana State. And um, my former associate head coach Chuck Connolly is a, a good friend of ours and we were doing some spring conditioning and uh, we had the, the, the format was essentially some type of, of um, interval running and to make it sort of more fun and competitive. We were doing it in a relay format where we had teams guys were doing, you know, kind of wind sprints just to use a simple term. Um, And the, the exchange was with what we in soccer refer to as a, a penny. And sometimes people call it a bib or a vest, but in soccer, a lot of times you'll hear a penny. And so Chuck and David were talking, you know, after the fact, and Chuck was, was telling him about how we had done this, this conditioning, you know, competition. And uh, so David recreated it you know, wherever he was at the time. And then he talked to Chuck about it afterwards and said, yeah, you know, it was interesting, but like the guys had a really hard time exchanging the penny. And uh, we were like, what, what's going on? And come to find out, David thought he said penny as in uh, one cent. And so he was trying to have guys pass this really tiny penny back and forth when they were, you know, meant to be exchanging the baton, so to speak, and uh, it made made the exercise a lot more challenging. Hey, fine motor skills when you're <laughs> extremely winded are quite challenging. So we we created an element of like dexterity there. So <laughs> it was appropriate. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> Great story. That's awesome. Um, you don't have anything? You don't have one on uh, our buddy Chris here, David? No, nah, not nothing on Chris. Just positive things to say about him. He's a great role model, learned a lot from him, and, uh, yeah, he's a legend. Likewise, buddy. All right, that's a good spot to end, you know, before uh, before someone slings an insult. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Tales from the Trail. There's a ton of information. Please let me know if you have any questions after listening, and I'll get David and Chris back on to answer. See you on the trail.